You're listening to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and since 2014, we've been celebrating and commiserating with world-class experts, best-selling authors, and parents around the world. <laughs> hey, uh, remember how I was going to start recording the podcast every other week in order to get in my time as a mom of young kids and follow through with my word for 2020? My word was reboot? Well, the world is uh, really forcing me into that right now. And many of us, <sighs> we're all rebooting. <laughs> reboot. Oh, we're all getting in a lot of craft time. I'm recording this introduction Saturday, March 14th. I am two days into my children's quote-unquote homeschooling with school closures, international travel bans, and new information about how this virus spreads. I'm so glad that I pre-recorded this conversation with my guest Tara Button a month ago. You know, we're talking about taking inventory of what we buy and how we take care of it. And, um... Now we're all really doing that, huh? <sighs> I hope this conversation not only gives our families ideas about how we can better care for what we have, but that it also lifts our spirits because there's no talk of the pandemic. L.A. is so on edge right now, and it's feeling, I mean, it's also been raining for three days straight, but it is so quiet unless you're in a grocery store parking lot. And... I'm sure many of us are becoming aware that we don't have family out here or uh, we have elderly relatives that we're not allowed to visit. I know that's true for some of my friends. My great aunt Ida was my only relative in LA when I moved out here in 2005. She was born in 1911 and she was 104 when she died. I love nothing more than visiting her in her little apartment in Northridge, California. Because of the topic of this episode, she just kept coming up for me. I remember her sewing machine that she kept in her bedroom where she would mend her own pants. She had pants that she had worn for 20 years. I still have a pair of her scissors in my desk drawer. And when I put them in the palm of my hand, I'm just always surprised by how much weight there is to them. Even her mixer was from the 1980s and still working for her. She loved what she had and she took good care of it. And at the end of the day, she still recognized that it was just all stuff. What mattered to her was reaching out to her neighbors, volunteering at a local kindergarten class, planting a vegetable garden for the others in her apartment complex to enjoy. She talked often of the Northridge earthquake, but she didn't worry or agonize over what could happen tomorrow. I just remember those jugs of water in her closet. <laughs> I'm laughing because uh, we've all we all have or oh my god, the jugs of water in LA situation at the grocery store is a little intense. <sighs> anyway, there is so much of my great aunt Ida that I am trying to tap into right now. So I'd like to dedicate this episode to her. So about our guest, Tara Button, she worked in advertising 
until 2016, but she became uncomfortable in a job that pushed people to buy things they didn't necessarily want or need. She launched the website Buy Me Once. And in January 2016, a journalist found it on Twitter and pitched a story to The Telegraph. Over the next few days, the article went viral and Tara's world exploded. She quit her job and committed to spreading the Buy Me Once message globally. Her book is A Life Less Throwaway, The Lost Art of Buying for Life. I'll be right back with Tara Button. Tara, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I wanted to first ask you about the caption that we read when we first go on your website. Mm -hmm. And that caption is, the way we buy is broken. (laughs) Can you please tell us why? The way we buy is broken for so many reasons, but the main reasons are the marketing world has gone into overdrive and made us desire things that actually we don't really need and don't bring us happiness at the end of the day. And at the same time, the products that we buy are more and more throwaway products. So when your grandmother says, they don't make things the way they used to. She's not lying. <laughs> they really don't make things the way that they used to. And there's proof for that. You know, kitchen appliances, for example, break at double the rate that they used to in like 2004 even. So um, essentially, it's a kind of two-pronged thing. It's that the products that we buy have got worse and worse in quality. And we have gone into kind of consumption overdrive in a way that damages our mental health, it's cluttered up our homes to the point where there's, you know, a whole load of television programs on how to get rid of that clutter, but no one's really tackling how that clutter got there in the first place. And of course, it, most of it got there because we bought it. And mm-hmm. that's why the things that we buy, the, the way that we buy is broken. So on your 30th birthday, your sister gave you a La Crusette cooking pot. And for anyone who doesn't know, they have a lifetime warranty for their cast iron products. I just looked at an article in Cooking Light. They wrote a piece about it this year titled, La Crusette has the best warranty policy we've ever seen. So Mm -hmm. you got that cooking pot and then you looked around and saw that most other things wouldn't be making this lifetime journey with you. (laughs) And what was your next step? Like, who did you talk to and how did you end up quitting your job in advertising? Yeah, so it was a kind of series of dominoes. I got this pot, which is such a beautiful object and it does its work as a pot incredibly well. And I knew I'd have it for the rest of my life. It made me realize that everything else I'd brought up to them was um, lacking. And so I, from a purely selfish point of view, just wanted to find a place where I could get the Le Creuset of everything because I realized the value of buying something for life. It's like off your shopping list forever. It's kind of off your tick list, which I loved. Um, I could see that it would save me money over time because I wouldn't have to rebuy it again. And I also started to see the environmental benefits. And it was actually that that made me realize the real power of the idea. So when I didn't find a website or a shop that 
sold the longest lasting version of everything. I was like, well, someone should do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of parked that idea for about three years because it didn't occur to me that I could be the one to do that. It was one of those ideas where I fully expected someone who actually knew how to run a shop <laughs> to come along and be like, well, I'll do this. And I would kind of very smugly be able to say, oh, yeah, I came up with that idea ages ago. But as the years kind of passed by and as the environmental stories got worse and worse, and I kind of realized that this was such a kind of no-brainer of a solution to the environmental problems that we face. You know, if you buy one thing rather than, you know, one really long-lasting things rather than 10 throwaway things, All of the production, all of the carbon emissions that went into making those things, all of the distribution across the world that had to go into that, that only has to happen once instead of 10 times. So the carbon savings are absolutely massive. And it was that that kind of got me off my bottom and um, making this website that started to research into, well, if I'm going to buy a spoon or a cooking pot or a kettle or even, you know, a t-shirt or a teddy bear, which are the brands that make the highest quality stuff and and have the best warranties so that it can be in my life for the foreseeable future. And I had about a hundred products on the website, which included things like lifetime guaranteed socks and lifetime guaranteed umbrellas when a journalist found me on Twitter, wrote an article in the Daily Telegraph, which is a British newspaper, and that article went viral globally. And I had about 600,000 people came to the website in like three days, (laughs) uh, which was completely mental. And all of the things that happen on like, you know, television and films when you go viral kind of happened to me. I was like, offered book deals and to be on television and be, you know, come to America. And it was completely bonkers. And I was still trying to write TikTok ads at that time and focus on my awful advertising job, which mainly involved kind of selling children sugar. Um, (laughs) And it was at that point when I was like, I have to quit and I have to quit today. So I marched into my boss's office and essentially said that. And luckily, he was cool enough to agree with me. (laughs) And then the rest is history in terms of turning that seed of an idea into a a business, Mm -hmm. which it is now with kind of several thousand products on the website. Well, I want to take a moment, firstly, to apologize to my listeners' ears for the way I mispronounced. I said La Crusette. I'm such a, like, Texan. (laughs) And... All, uh, any French, oh my God, that I ever took went out the window in that moment. I apologize, listeners. (laughs) When you first started the site, did you collaborate or did you have a partnership with these companies or did you just list them as the best on your site? Yeah, so, I mean, there was, no collaboration to start with. It was literally just me doing the research by myself and getting kind of expert opinions. I would like call up my local cobbler uh, who kind of fixes shoes and be like, which shoes 
are the easiest to fix and which are the hardest to fix and which are the ones that you see too often and which which are the ones Mm -hmm. that are kind of the best quality. So I would call up people and ask really awkward questions that they've never been asked before and just started to kind of slowly but slowly kind of get these. um, Essentially, it was a blog. It was a review site. It certainly wasn't a, um, a business yet. I would put up the picture of the product that I felt was the best according to my criteria, which was all about the materials used and the strengths of the construction and the, the strength of the warranty and the reviews, et cetera, and, and put it up on the site. But essentially, I was giving these people free marketing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I just felt so strongly that this idea should exist, that I wasn't bothered at that time about making money out of it. I just thought that this is something that the world needs in its life and what my hope was right from the beginning and what is now kind of the official mission of Buy Me Once was to essentially change the way the world shops from short-term throwaway buying to long-term buying. What do you say to the critic out there who says this is a solution for people with money? Because, you know, that cooking pot that I will now not try to pronounce... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> goes between, you know, it's a, between $150 and $600. Mm-hmm. You know, you could obviously pick something up for much less at Target or Walmart. Yeah. What do you say to that argument that this is a wealthy person's solution? Well, I think to a certain degree, they have a point, uh, which is absolutely devastating. Essentially, Unfortunately, higher quality items cost more. There's no getting away from that fact. However, there are ways around this and there is a future that I see where this isn't necessarily the case. I think that one, it's really important to see the difference between value for money and and price. If that, if that makes sense. So, for example, you can have a lifetime umbrella that costs, you know, $100, but the average person buys one umbrella a year. And even if that's kind of 10 to $15, you end up saving $500 over your lifetime. So there's the kind of the value of the long-termness of the product. And that's really important to keep in mind. Also. With these brands, because they do last so long, you can get them secondhand for a snip of the price and they still intrinsically have the same physical properties that they had in the beginning. Mm. And so it's not just for um, the wealthy. People may only be able to afford them up up front if, if they've got money, but also people aren't used to saving for things anymore. Actually, this kind of lifestyle will save you money over time. It's just that people are used to buying what they want when they want it, which is always now. You know, I I need this. I will get it now. And I can only afford this thing. And that's how people purchase. However, there is another way to go, which is to say, right, I need this. I need a bed, for example. So when I needed a bed, I had the choice of going out and buying a cheap bed that I could afford 
out of my monthly pay um, packet, which, you know, left me with, you know, a little bit of um, spare at the end of the month. Or I could wait and save up for a bed that would last me for the rest of my life because it's so beautifully constructed and it's made out of solid, sustainable wood rather than, you know, uh, an Ikea bed. So we say that doesn't necessarily hold, um, or depending on which brand you go for, it doesn't necessarily hold up after a few years. And so I slept on the floor for kind of three, four, five months until I could afford the bed that I knew was going to last for the long term. But people don't do that anymore. Um, but this now means that I'm never going to have to buy this bed again. <laughs> well, <laughs> in defense of Ikea, I will say that I had a bed from Ikea all of high school. And then my little mm-hmm. sister had it. And we still have this bed from Ikea. But here was the trick for us. I think we paid someone to put it together. And honestly, mm. that was worth the investment. Because if, I'm sorry, dad, ah, but if my dad if my dad had put it together, it probably wouldn't have made it through more than just my high school. But I think sometimes it can be, what are the other ways that we invest in the thing? And so that's just a, a random example. Because sometimes things that aren't that expensive do last a really long time. And then really? I guess that become that's more about, yeah, assembly, yeah, uh, or or word of mouth. Yes, looking into the materials is what I would always say. You know, mm. if you're going to get a bed, for example, from IKEA, make sure that it's made out of solid wood, and they'll probably have both. They'll have oh. solid wood beds, and they'll have kind of kind of you know veneer beds, which are kind of essentially cardboard with you know right. something that looks like wood photocopied and like <laughs> pasted on it and that will peel off after yeah. you know a couple of months and um, so kind of looking into that and then again yeah the construction is huge so I think that's really smart getting someone who really knows their way around a spanner um, mm-hmm. you, or a monkey wrench I think as they call it in um, in America to put put something together is absolutely worth the the investment and those two things, uh, materials and construction, look for the highest quality that you can afford in that and you won't be sorry. Do you have a partner? Because I'm wondering what it's like to live with someone else if you Mm -hmm. are only bringing things home because of my research, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you really do try to only bring things home that you will have in your life for at least 10 years. So also, I'm... (laughs) Were you dating at the time? Like, did you have the same mindset there? And if you are living with someone, how do you deal with all their junk? Yeah, so I had just started dating my current husband uh, when I came up with the idea for Buy Me Once. And I have to say, my, my husband didn't really have any stuff at all. He was a kind of natural minimalist in that he had clothes, but not very many of them. And most of them were kind of from when he was 16 and had been bought by his mother. Um, and he was just still wearing them because, you know, they still worked as clothes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So why not? And um, and then he had about like five books, all about Bob Dylan, I seem to remember, and a television. And that's all he came with. 
Um, so he moved into my house and really didn't take up that much room at all. And so I think he's really appreciated because he hates shopping, just hates shopping. Mm-hmm. Like it's his idea of hell. So, you know, his his idea is to kind of just go in, make it happen and then come out again. So the idea that he doesn't have to go shopping very often because we very, very rarely buy something and I do all of the research. I think he loves. Mm-hmm. Occasionally he has an object that he's either kept around or he brings into our life. And I'm like, really? He, um, he has a fake severed hand from a prop from a <laughs> from a, some kind of dramatic thing that he was involved in, and I'm like, does that have to does that have to exist in our lives? But it, it makes him laugh every time he sees it. So I guess in Mary Kondo uh, speak, it sparks joy in him, <laughs> and you have to respect that. Oh, you should go hide it in the refrigerator or something. <laughs> scare him i think he would cry he'd probably like that <laughs> he's um he's into comedy so he'd be cry after that generally it, it's not been a problem i think he really appreciates the research that i go into mm. so essentially whenever he needs something right where whether it's a kind of a jacket or a pair of shoes he'll come to me and say hey can you look into this for me and and find the, the best one for me so so let's say I were look. I was looking for a jacket for my husband. What are mm-hmm. the steps that you take in doing your research? Because at this point, it's hard enough to find something that fits him, right? You right. know that there's like that part of it, but then there's the longevity question. So let's focus on the longevity question, since you're the expert in that. What are your steps for researching products that you may buy? Yes. So when it comes to clothing, there's no getting away from it. Taste is really important. So, you know, you could buy the longest lasting thing in the world, but if he hates it, that there's no point because he'll wear it twice to be nice to you. And then it will kind of (laughs) be on the hanger and he'll wear other stuff and it's a complete waste. So looking into what he needs the jacket for, what occasions it will be used, uh, within and the kind of style that he'll need that to portray, the kind of persona he'll have to be while wearing the jacket is kind of important to look at and thinking about, the, I guess, the most steady aspects of his persona. Because everyone has their crazy days where they feel like being flamboyant or, you know, are inspired by a particular celebrity, perhaps. But kind of thinking back in time about you know, the most steady aspects of your character and your kind of true taste, I think, is really important. You know, the kind of colors that suit you and the textures that you like to feel next to your skin. Lots of people don't take the time to do that kind of personal research, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. because they'll see something that they like or they'll see it on someone else and they'll get inspired rather than taking the time to think about what colors suit me what um textures do I like and so that's kind of important as a starting point and then within that then you're down to your kind of five-step find the lunch product process what materials are there out there that these types of jackets that you've decided that you need what are they made out of and that could be you know uh wool blends cotton blends polyester, um, 
there'll be lots of different options. And what you're looking for is kind of hard, something that's hard wearing, but also something that you will like next to your next to your skin and, and knit around your your body. There may be certain things that you care about in terms of your values. So you might want to steer clear of things like polyester if you are um, thinking more about trying to reduce your plastic consumption because, of course, uh, these unnatural fabrics are made out of plastics and they can create microplastics which then go into our oceans. The next thing to think about is, is the construction. There'll be some jackets that are put together and, and aligned beautifully and are triple stitched and seamed in a way that quite obviously are going to make it more durable than jackets that have been kind of thrown together with one line of stitching and you know kind of a wing and a prayer is holding it together mm. so taking the time to kind of look into that is super important and then looking at the reviews because often that's the best way of finding out if there are any durability kind of oh the buttons fell off in two day within two days or it started to get super shiny or started to bobble in the rain you'll you'll start to get that kind of feedback if uh, if there are issues with it and then looking at the any sort of warranty is super important as well so at by me once we tried to get our clothing brands in particular to add free fixing warranties onto all of their clothing for buying once customers because we think that if these brands are going to claim that they make long-lasting things if they fail for any reason they should take responsibility and that's what we try to get brands to do i was looking on reddit before our conversation and there is a thread that has 660,000 followers called buy it for life and yeah. there was one post that I thought was so sweet. It was a a man in and he was modeling some clothing, and the caption read "Gramps's birthday shirt by Pendleton." He got it in 1952. Today would have wow. been his 95th birthday. Wow, it's amazing, isn't it? And Pendleton is one of our brands for that very reason. There are. In, increasingly you know huge amount of brands that just care about the profit margin and unfortunately you know you know fast fashion and all of that but within every product sector there's always gems like Pendleton who are still you know absolutely passionate about the quality of their product and stand by you know the way that it's made and um and, and the quality to the point where you know, we get to put them on the site. You, you just mentioned fa fast fashion. So I'm curious, mm. a lot of these companies are now creating programs. Like I know H&M has a garment collecting program mm. that's a global initiative. How do you feel yeah. about these programs? Like, do you think it's just PR spin? Is there value there? What are your thoughts? I, I find these programs, it's hard because in some ways it's better than not having a program. But in another way, all it does is let them perpetuate what they're doing, which is to create this insane amount of overconsumption 
back in the 1930s, for example, a woman might have had around 10 outfits. Now we buy a wheelie case of clothing every year on average, maybe six, 64 garments, mm-hmm. um, which is an insane amount of waste. And, you know, in fast fashion, within a year, most items, about half of items are thrown away. And a lot of them end up in landfill. So the waste is absolutely catastrophic. And um, for the most part, there's no way of recycling this stuff. And it's of such poor quality that even people, um, you know, on on the poverty line don't want them. You know, charity shops don't want them. Thrift stores, as you might call them in the States, they don't want these items because there's no value in them because they fall to bits after a couple of wears and they're just seen as cheap and nasty, I suppose. Mm. I'd like to talk about caring for the items that we have. Mm. When when we moved into our home a couple of years ago, we bought all the rugs from the previous owner Mm -hmm. because they had only lived in the house for two years and now that I'm thinking about it, I kind of want to pat myself on the back because they were moving to a new space. They were going to need rugs of different dimensions. And so mm-hmm. in that way, basically everyone, we were saving the planet. No, I'm kidding, but totally kidding. Great. Great idea. The problem or the hiccup was when I realized I wanted the rugs to be professionally cleaned after, you know, they mm-hmm. had another family before us. And it was so expensive. I wasn't going to just buy a new rug instead of clean it. But mm-hmm. if I was looking at the cost, I could have. And and yes, it would take more time. And yes, you know, I wasn't going to necessarily be able to find one of the same value. Does it then yeah. become our per- just our personal responsibility to know, yes, like this is the cost every couple of years if you want to maintain nice things, you have to spend a lot of money to do that because it sucks. <laughs> I wish it was cost less yeah. to maintain. Yeah, I, I think that there are some items where it, it can feel that way. There there are ways kind of around that with, with certain things. Kind of little and often is, is often the way. So, you know, catching stains just as they happen, for example, can save you a huge amount of stress and mm-hmm. professional cleaning because it means that you know, a bit of soda water and um, lots of dabbing with a towel can save you, you know, quite a lot of dollars in terms of a professional cleaner. What we do is actually just hire the cleaner itself. So you know, the carpet shampoo machine, mm-hmm. and then you use it yourself. And it's actually super fun. So you're not paying for the labor, which is often the expensive part of yes. the, um, you know, of getting something maintained. It's having someone come to a house and do it. Mm-hmm. But actually learning how to upkeep things yourself often makes it much less expensive. And, you know, it can be quite fun. and It can give you a sense of empowerment as well, because I think we've become pretty... I'm lazy. Is that what you were going to say? <laughs> no, not not lazy. I, I think we've been trained to be helpless mm-hmm. or to feel helpless. Like, I don't know how to deal with this situation. You know, there's a stain on my rug. I don't know 
how to get it out, I must, I need a professional. Mm-hmm. Whereas actually a quick, you know, look on the internet and there'll be something you can do, which actually probably isn't that hard, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a lot cheaper than getting someone into your house and a lot quicker and cheaper than buying new rugs as well. So, yep. yeah, I, I think there's a kind of, oh, I don't know how to deal with this situation. My Oh, my kettle doesn't work anymore. My washing machine is making this noise. My, you know, my dishwasher is backfilling. Help, I need a professional. Whereas actually upskilling yourself just to know a little bit more about this stuff that we have in our homes and how to maintain it. Obviously, there will be occasions where we have to turn to the professionals. But just knowing a little bit can mm-hmm. save us a lot. You know, we called an emergency plumber because we had some drains overflowing and all he did was put on a long glove and move something from the drain. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh my God, that mm-hmm. cost, mm-hmm. you know, $200 yeah. because it was an emergency plumber. And all I needed was a long glove. So I bought mm. a long glove and I know <laughs> what to do now if the same happen um, because I'm damned if I'm going to you know, bring some someone over to my house to um, do something that easy. Well, Tara, I will admit that some of the stuff, like the rugs thing, now I'm like getting defensive. I'm like, I'm like, I know, I'm like, yes, part of it is laziness. Part of it is like, I had a new baby. I had a newborn and I knew she'd be on the rug. And I was like, I want this rug as clean as possible if I'm inheriting it from the previous owners. Um, And that leads me to a topic that creates so much waste, uh, not only with diapers and all of the Amazon boxes, but new motherhood especially. I both times... Uh, I brought a baby home. I also brought home so much more stuff. And Mm -hmm. it's like, if I can do the quick buy or if I can have someone come over and fix it, um, because I'm in a place of exhaustion and weakness and fear, I will do it. And because of your previous experience in advertising, and you mentioned selling sugar to kids, I would love for you, can you just pull back the veil on what ways are they manipulating us as mothers? It's absolutely insane how much manipulation is going on. And you talk about fear as a new mother, and I think that that button is pressed a huge amount and is taken advantage of massively by companies. They kind of speak to the worst case scenario, you know, Mm -hmm. your baby's not going to sleep unless you buy this, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, Uh, or it will grow up and be stupid unless you buy this incredibly expensive kind of stimulating toy or, you know, or or it's incredibly unhygienic um, unless you buy this, this and this. And, And I think that, you know, it's really important to remember that people have been bringing up children for you know hundreds of thousands of years without all of this stuff Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it seems to you know generally work out for the most part and I think that we do panic a bit when we're in that kind of exhaustion and fear and it's about stepping back and maybe 
during the times when we're stronger, so potentially before we have the, the baby, where before all the craziness and the sleep deprivation begins um, wholesale, making a plan for what you feel you really need and, and what you where your personal boundaries lie in terms of where you're going to go and where you're not going to go in terms of things like even things like decor, because I think we can get completely over, over the top and maybe, you know, if we're feeling insecure in a certain area, we can use buying as a way of compensating for the self-esteem. You know, I'm not a bad mother because I got this, 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 and, and this. Mm-hmm. I feel like a bad mother because my baby isn't sleeping, you know? Mm-hmm. And so when all of that stress is upon you kind of, remembering back to the plan that you already set. I think the other thing to recognize is that um, there is so much manipulation happening and so many dollars going into making you do certain things. So for example, back in the 1980s, I think only about $100 million was spent on marketing kid stuff. And now it's several billion so you know that marketing spend has absolutely you know grown massively and it and it, it you're getting brands marketing to kids when they're newborns so you have people from brands sending baby grows into hospitals because they want these babies eyes on their brand right mm-hmm. <laughs> right from birth so that when they're three and four they're pointing at things and going, mommy, I want this one. Um, kids now see about 40,000 commercials a year and they are taking it all in. And so you don't just have the manipulation coming from brands straight to you. You're also getting brands manipulating your kids to manipulate you as soon as mm-hmm. they can talk or even before they can talk. They can mm-hmm. recognize brands and point at things. And a lot of these brands are um, not necessarily got your kids' best interest at heart. You know, you have you know, some very well-loved characters even from, you know, our childhood, you know, marketing sugar for, for our children. Mm-hmm. When you go into the cereal aisle, you've got Elsa from Frozen, Yep. selling high sugar cereal and what why would Elsa do something that's bad for children do you do you know what I mean like she's a heroine yeah so um this child would never understand that you know their favorite brands and their favorite characters are actually promoting things that are actively negative in their lives so unfortunately there's a lot of protection that we need to do I think for for our kids. So, I uh, I will reveal. I think this is the first time I've said that. Uh, this, uh, but I'm actually expecting myself for the first time oh, uh, in May. Congratulations! <laughs> yeah, it's re- it's really exciting. But I'm already kind of putting in plans on how I can not have my baby subject to all of these messages that mm-hmm. sway their opinions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So much, and because and a child doesn't know the difference between a commercial and a story, 
it just sees something exciting in front of it and it and it wants to be involved and it um so you know just watching on demand television instead of commercial oh, it's so helpful. television can help because when i would let when i would let my 6 year old watch nickelodeon there's so many commercials and she would just keep bringing things up that she would see in the commercials but if i went to pbs or especially if i was on demand People have heard me talk before about there's a show, you can get it on Amazon Prime. It's an HBO show called Classical Baby, and they have six or seven different episodes, and it is so beautiful and moving. And mm. and you can, I, I started it with my second daughter when, you know, she was six months old, but it doesn't feel like screen time because it's just these beautiful images over music and poetry. Yeah. They just did a really good job with that. So there is content out there that is positive, that is age appropriate and where yes, you can sidestep all the brainwashing. I will say that even with this podcast, I have struggled in the past over advertising because I don't want to be selling to moms. Going back to what you said about the newborn stage and how isolating it is. And I think about mm-hmm. my crazy list on Amazon, like the part of it is wanting to feel a sense of control. Part of it is, yeah, wanting to feel like I'm taking action, even if that's just pressing a button yeah. and having a box show up. Some of yeah. it is also... A little sad because I think about the way we live, at least the way my family lives in Los Angeles, and it is very individualistic. We are friends with our neighbors, but I wouldn't go ask to borrow something uh, necessarily. Like my first instinct would be to order it on Amazon and have it show up in two days. Mm. Like if I needed something for, you know, like a, a particular screwdriver or something like that, instead of reaching out to a neighbor, I would probably buy one. And my excuse would be, well, I'll also need it in the future. Like maybe, or probably not. It'll probably get lost in the back of yeah. our garage. And so I'm missing that sense of connection. Definitely. And it's so huge. It's, you know, uh, every study ever done on human happiness says connection, community, relationships, that's it. Like, that's what you need for happiness. Um, and so anything that you can do that fosters that in your life is um, is going to help fill that hole that essentially Amazon have now promised that they will fill mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> um, within within 24 hours or whatever they've promised right now. And they have groomed us to rely on them rather than our neighbors. And that has connect, created this disconnect. And there's some crazy stat, like the average power drill only gets used for 15 minutes its entire life. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Imagine the amount of people who have bought power drills oh because they needed God. it for one thing. And the reason why no, they d- doesn't get used again is because, you know, their neighbor might then need a power drill, but won't go out to 
Exactly. You know, like what I just to borrow it. <laughs> oh, I'm like part of the case study because I'll tell you what happens. You end up losing the cord and then you start all over again. I'm also thinking that I have a few neighbors who listen to the podcast. and I have a feeling I'm going to open my door and there are going to be <laughs> power drills on my front doorstep from my neighbors <laughs> in a few days uh, who have listened to this episode. Um what are you wearing since you just revealed your pregnancy on the podcast? What are you wearing these days? Are you able to stick with the wardrobe you have or are you borrowing or what What are you doing in terms of maternity wear since that is such a short-term um, need? Uh, well, I haven't bought any uh, new maternity wear at all. Everything that I have has I've been borrowed off friends who have been pregnant in recent years or um, I've bought a couple of bits off eBay and that's been amazing because I've got these beautiful maternity dresses for maybe $6 when they would have been $100 in the shops. So not only have I got incredible value for money, I've um, you know stopped uh, you know something from being end- ending up kind of being wasteful and being thrown away. I've also tried to go for maternity dresses that are also nursing dresses. So not only can I wear them throughout my pregnancy, but throughout the nursing period afterwards, so that it, I not I don't end up it's with so kind smart. of two different. Sets of clothing, mm-hmm. and and again, yeah, every bra I've bought, for example, uh, which I have bought new, actually, that's the only thing that I have bought new. They're all nursing bras, all of the maternity bras I have, so I'll be able to wear them during um, my pregnancy and then into the nursing period afterwards. So it may only be a few months longer, but it's the longest. That, that I can have. And actually, they're so comfortable. I don't see why I can't carry on wearing mm-hmm. them. As long as they fit, they've, they've got loads of different settings on them, which also obviously makes them super uh, long-lasting in that way. Yes. <laughs> Last night, I was actually wearing a maternity nightgown that my girlfriend, Bridget, handed. It was a hand-me-down. I am not pregnant, but it's so big and comfy. <laughs> think it's going to be one of those things I keep for life. And I was also thinking about what you just said about your friends giving you those hand-me-downs and what we were saying about community. Like, I really think that is a, a massive part of the solution because my two-year-old <laughs> wears all of her older sister's hand-me-downs, but also her older sister's friend's hand-me-downs. And I didn't have to buy a winter coat for my two-year-old this year because she had one from her sister that was like the sporty one. But then she got a beautiful one that she could wear, you know, to the Christmas holiday parties from my older daughter's best friend. So it's like, brilliant. I wish maybe that'll be, I'm so excited. I want to check. I would love to catch up with you in six months. And then in a year after that, and see how motherhood, you know, influences this experience for you. I want to, I want to see a picture of the nursery because I feel mm-hmm. like you're going to have so many new tips yeah. for us for how we can, yeah, you know, live 
more consciously? What's interesting is that when I when I wrote my book, I came up with tips uh, for how to set up a nursery, but obviously this was before I experienced it myself. So now I will be testing my solutions um, in real time for the first time. I went through it obviously with friends who had had babies and they kind of agreed that it was a, a good way forward, but now I'll be able to test it myself and, and see it in action. So that will be really exciting. What I would say on the kids clothing um, mm-hmm. thing is that probably the best thing to do there is to set up with your local school a swapping day. Mm-hmm. So mums bring in clothing and have a big kind of swap shop where you maybe take over the gym and lay out all the clothes in kind of height and an age group and everyone brings a certain amount of items and they can come away with a certain amount of items and that way it's all being reused and it's um you know none of it's ending up either shoved unused in the bottom of closets or ending up in landfill and you know the money saved as well absolutely massive yes tara how, how can our listeners find you you can find me at buymeonce.com and you can find me online wherever social media lives uh, at Tara Button as well um, on a personal level. Thank you so much, Tara. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you. Stay safe, everyone. Okay. Our sound engineer is Owen O'Neill. Our production assistant, Olivia Hasty, and our original theme music is by the Jeremy Turner. Again, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review, and check us out at AtomicMoms.com for our newsletter and on Instagram at AtomicMoms, and share with all your mom friends who need a little support during this time. It's easier to empty the dishwasher if you've got a podcast in your ears. Until next time, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness, rock on. Atomic Moms. Atomic Moms.